seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 7. Just hold your spot there in Genesis chapter 7, and uh, we're continuing in our series that we uh, started last Sunday, and uh, Genesis 7 is where we're going to be. We're going to move a little bit further along from Genesis 7 and 8 and uh, roll in another passage of Scripture, but it's going to be really, really close there. So Genesis 7, kind of camp there, hold your spot for just a few minutes. We, uh, we've been going through this series called But God. I've been really excited about this series because um, it tracks right back to Scripture, obviously, hopefully like every single series does. But the actual phrase, but God, you find numerous places in the Bible. And uh, it, it's, it, it always comes at those moments where you kind of need it to come. And uh, the whole premise of the series is not just looking at those instances uh, in Scripture, some of them at least, where but God is actually used in, in the wording. But it also, you'll notice here, kind of on the graphic there, there's a comma before that. And that reminds us of ourselves and our own lives. That there have been numerous times, I'm sure for you, I know there have been for me, where uh, before the comma wasn't necessarily easy or it wasn't necessarily good. You know, and for you, maybe you think about some of those experiences that you've had in your life. Maybe it was a hardship. Maybe it was a loss that you experienced maybe a loved one who's no longer part of your life any longer. Maybe it was an illness or a diagnosis. Maybe it was a moment where you just kind of went off into the high weeds and sort of did your own thing, and, and then you felt the sting of that and the consequences of that. And before the comma, you know, you kind of, you, you went through a very difficult time as well. Maybe to a point to where you didn't know if you were going to make it through. You didn't know if you are ever going to be the same again, but God, right? And he came through for you, and, and he ultimately rescued you, or he restored your joy, or he worked good out of the bad, or, or he healed you, or he did something else that only God can do, and now you're left with an amazing story. And it's one of those but God stories, and one of the things I hope that comes out of this series is that you'll think through in your own mind some of those but God stories that you've got, that if you have a relationship with Christ, you've got some of those stories as well. God doesn't want you just to hang on to them and thank him for them. He wants you to share them as well, because what you'll often find is that the very experience that you went through, and God came and he showed up and he stepped onto the platform of your life and he he did what only he can do right there are others that he brings across your path that need to be reminded he can do that for them as well and so your bud god stories are incredibly incredibly valuable and that's what we're looking at in this series titled but god and we're looking for about five weeks or so this is week number two we got about three more to go we're looking at some of the instances in scripture where that very phrase is used and learning something about God along the way. So last Sunday, we started in, uh, in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we looked at how Ephesians paints this horrible picture for us without Christ. That without Jesus, we are lost, we are undone, we are dead, literally dead spiritually in our trespasses and our sins and how we lived before Christ came in our lives. We lived in opposition to God. We lived under the influence of the enemy. We did our own thing. Sometimes that involved crossing some significant barriers in life, and we just went, and uh, whether we lived a good life or a horrible life, still we were under God's wrath because of our sin. And what we saw last Sunday in the very first message in the series titled Alive is that Ephesians tells us that even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive together with him in Christ. And if you've given your life to Jesus, everything has been changed. Man, all that, that, that death has been replaced with life and the consequences that may, you may have experienced from sin. We're going to see later that God can work good out of those kinds of things. And everything is different now because of a relationship with Christ. And so that's what we looked at last Sunday. Today we're going to add to this series, looking in Genesis chapter 7 and Genesis chapter 8, and a little bit further in Genesis as well, at a message simply entitled, Forgotten. 
forgotten. So when was the last time in your life that you felt forgotten? That you felt overlooked, that you felt cast away, right? When was the last time that you could remember where you felt forgotten in your life? I think for every one of us, we can, we can you know, think back to what that was like, right? But when was the last time for you where you felt literally, specifically forgotten? Maybe you remember way back when you were in grade school, right? And, uh, and you were on the playground, and you weren't necessarily the most athletic in the group, and it came time to play kickball or some other game when they had to choose teams. And you remember that feeling, right? When you were on the playground and everybody's choosing teams, and it's always that kid in fourth grade who's already shaving, right? He's the one who's like one of the captains, and he's picking all the other, you know, his teams. And then there's another kid just like him that's picking his team. And, and, and your heart is already starting to race. You're already starting to kind of get a little nervous feeling because you know you're not going to be picked second or third or fourth or fifth. In fact, you wonder if you may even get picked at all, right? Your, your heart is just racing because you're thinking, you know what, I'm, I don't really play kickball and yet I you know the teachers making us all play and they're picking teams and they may just come to me and say you know what we've got enough just go play on the swings or something and you're going to be left out and you remember that feeling of just sort of being overlooked and forgotten or maybe it was when you went to work and you got older and you worked hard and you did what the supervisor said and you kind of you know punched the clock for the company and, and you felt like you know what I'm doing a really good job and my territory's expanding and and you know the sales are increasing and this company's probably pretty glad I'm here and uh, I think they're going to be handing out some um, some promotions pretty soon and sure enough those promotions came and you watched the guy two offices down or the lady three cubicles over get their promotion and you were left out in the cold. And you went away thinking, you know what, I just feel so forgotten. I feel overlooked. I, I just feel like I'm, I don't carry any value. Maybe it's in a, in a uh, relationship that you're in. Maybe it's a marriage or maybe it's a friendship. And maybe you just feel like I give and I give and I give and I give. And I'm the one who's always given. And they're the one who's always taken. And I just feel overlooked. I feel like I'm just forgotten here. You know, I'm always the one who sends the text. I'm always the one who reaches out. I'm always the one who makes the call. I'm always the one who says, let's get together. And they never have time for me, and I feel forgotten. When was the last time that you felt that way? When's the last time that you felt like you were just overlooked, like, like nobody even recognized you? I can say it's not a good place to be. It's not an enjoyable place to be, and yet all of us have found ourselves there. And here's what often happens. Whenever we feel forgotten, now there is some good that can come out of it. We're going to look at that here in just a second once we get to Genesis chapter 7 and chapter 8. But, but there's a couple of negative paths that come out of feeling forgotten. One of those, if, if we feel forgotten for long enough, we can become angry and bitter on the inside. You remember Christmas Vacation, right? You remember that movie? It's almost Christmas. My family, we, we watched a Hallmark Christmas movie last night. Can you believe that, right? It's October, all right? But, but it's like, you know what we're gonna do? I know I just lost my man card, but it, I kind of wanted to do it. I wanted to watch it as well. And so we watched it, and we kind of made, you know, we made fun of it some along the way as well. But we did this. Well, remember Christmas Vacation? Remember when, um, w when he gets overlooked for the, uh, the, the end of the year bonus? Remember he just goes ballistic and hits the roof and he, he goes after the boss and it all goes off the rails after that point? Remember how, how he re result, or, or resolved that? He just grew angry and bitter. And there are times when you feel overlooked or when you feel forgotten in whatever setting in life that you ultimately will go down the angry path. You'll go down the blame path that it's everybody else's fault and I'm going to just turn inward and I'm going to get angry and I'm going to get bitter and, and I'm not going to enjoy anything that comes in my life. 
And then there's another path that when we go through that whole forgotten experience, there's another path where we maybe don't get angry. We just give up. We just throw in the towel. You know what? I'm tired of reaching out. You know what? I'm tired of calling. You know what? I'm not going to work as hard anymore. You know what? I'm not staying after five. I don't care who tells me anything. You know what? I'm just done with this. And you may get angry. You may get bitter. You may just give up, throw in the towel. What makes it even worse is sometimes when you feel that way about God. When you feel like, you know what, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think he might have forgotten me. You ever been there? You know what, Lord, we have prayed, and we have prayed, and we have prayed. But things aren't getting better. Things aren't any different. You know what, I brought this personal request to the Lord and I've asked him, you ever felt this way? And he just hasn't done what I've asked. You know what? I've been struggling, and I've been suffering, and I've been asking him to heal, and he won't heal. I've been asking him to fix our marriage, and he won't fix our marriage. I've been asking him for a new job, he won't give me a new job. You ever felt that way? I've been asking him for a child, and it seems like we, it's never going to happen. We just, whatever it is. You've probably been there before. You know, when we get to Genesis chapter 8 and chapter 7 specifically as well, what we find is a person who felt more than likely that way. And when we get to this passage of Scripture, here I'm going to go ahead and do a little spoiler. It's going to be a story, a true story that you've probably heard before. It, it, this isn't going to be one of those obscure, you know, Bible stories, you know, packed into a book of the Bible that you never read. This is going to be a story you're probably familiar with, right? Even if it's your first time in church ever or in a long time or watching a service this is a story you're going to be familiar with more than likely and it's a true story everything we read happened exactly like it said and yet what often happens is when we get to this story in the bible even though we're so familiar with it that almost works as a detriment because what happens is we don't put ourselves in the story maybe the way we should we just kind of hang out on the surface of the story and we kind of redesign the story the way we want it to read and then we move on from there but what we find here in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 7 and chapter 8, is going to be the story uh, about a very difficult circumstance in life. And, and, and to really fully understand this particular story, we need to start back at the beginning. The good thing is we're in chapter 8, we're not halfway through the Old Testament, right? So this won't take very long. So Genesis chapter 1 and 2, first two chapters of the Bible, what we read there is that God creates and we learn a lot about God in Genesis 1 and 2. We learn that God is the creator, we are the created. Because he would create animals, he would create oceans, he would create mountains, he would create trees. But the pinnacle of his creation would be mankind. And as God creates, and even the creative design of everything we see around us points to a creator, right? I mean, I've got a watch that didn't just materialize out of nothing. I mean, this watch is evidence of a watchmaker somewhere, right? In some country, there's a watchmaker who built this thing. And uh, when you go home today, if you set a bomb off in your garage, it's not going to create peace and order. It's going to create chaos, right? And, and so we know that everything we see with our eyes didn't come just somehow by happenstance. There is a creator behind everything we see. And Genesis 1 and 2 reminds us of that. And it tells us who the creator is. It tells us in the beginning, God right? That, that, that God, Jehovah, he is the one who has created everything we see. And the crowning moment was when he created mankind. 
He created Adam, the first man. He created Eve, the first woman. And, and in that creation, everything was perfect in Genesis 1 and 2. Everything. I mean, there, there was no chaos. There was no disorder. There, there was no death. None of that existed until we get to chapter 3. So when we get to Genesis 3, then, we have the introduction of sin. The first sin that we read of in the book of Genesis. There's a lot of firsts in the book of Genesis. But the first sin comes in Genesis chapter 3. The, just three chapters into this huge book, we find sin comes in. And with it comes consequence. The very people that God had created, the first generation, Adam and Eve, who once walked with God, are now living in rebellion against God. They are hiding from God. The first two negative emotions we see in Scripture, shame and guilt, come on the heels of sin. And Adam and Eve, who once walked with God, are now hiding from his presence, and they have sinned against him. They rebelled against God. God gave Adam a direct command. In this garden, there is a tree. Everything else you can eat of and enjoy, but this one tree, don't eat of it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of it. And Adam, I'm not going to just give you a command because I'm creator, I'm the commandor, you know, but I'm going to give you a warning that in the day you eat of this tree, you're going to die. I mean, you're, you're, just, you're going to die if you, if you disobey. That, that's, that, this is the command. It reminds you that I'm in charge, but there is also a warning, and I love you, and I've provided for you, and I put you here to enjoy, but there are consequences if you rebel and sin against me. And Adam and Eve sinned. They were tempted. That's not the, the, the excuse. That's not the blame. They chose as an act of their will to go against God and to rebel, and they sinned. And they ate the fruit that God said don't eat of. We don't know what kind of fruit it was. The Bible doesn't say. Most people act like it was a, an apple. Who knows? But the thing is, they disobeyed against God. And ultimately, consequence came. The next chapter, chapter 4, we find the story moves further. They've now had children. Two in particular in chapter 4 we read of are two sons, Cain and Abel. And whereas chapter 3 shows us the first sin, chapter 4 shows us the first murder. And it comes in the second generation of people. When Cain, in anger, in hostility, and in jealousy, murdered his own brother. All Adam and Eve could do when they come there and they see the body of their son, Abel, lying in a pool of blood, all they could do is say, look what we've done. Sin. Sin brought that. Chapter 5 is like Exhibit A in regards to God's trustworthiness because in chapter 5, the death bell rings eight different times eight different men starting with Adam you read the phrase explaining the person how long they lived which kids they had and then it says and he died eight different times in Genesis 5 and what God had said to Adam in the day that you disobey the day that you eat of this you will surely die they died immediately on the inside uh, spiritually and then the day would come when they would die physically sin would only get worse it would go from bad to worse, literally, from chapter 6. Look at what it says here in verse 5. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It doesn't sprinkle in that man was mostly good, but every now and then they kind of got tempted and did badly. No, the commentary of God here is that there would come a point in his creation because of sin that it was the really the driving force behind every thought, every inclination of the heart was on evil. And because God is perfect and because God is just, he would have to judge sin. 
and he would judge it dramatically through a flood that would come upon the earth he had created it would be a global flood a worldwide flood the way that scripture paints the picture and explains it if we believe that it's true and we should then it tells us that this word would this uh, flood would cover the whole entire earth this flood would come however not just as judgment against sin but it would also paint a picture of his judgment against sin in our day as well that sin is always worthy of judgment if god doesn't judge sin and we already know this right i mean if if someone has has um broken a law and then they ultimately stand before a judge that judge is going to ultimately uphold the law because he's just and god does the same thing what we often miss is the the ugliness of sin we, what we often miss is that what sin is deserving of and here God, in this context, chooses to judge the whole earth except for one family, a man named Noah and his wife, and then his, their three sons and their wives. Eight people all total God would collectively protect inside of an ark. And God would come to Noah, and he would give Noah command to build this ark, and he would give him the instructions and the parameters and all the things he needed, and Noah would begin to build. We move on to chapter 7, and let's pick up the story here. And after the completion of the ark has been built, the Lord speaks. And it says, Lord, the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male and his female, also of the birds of the sky by sevens male and female to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth for after seven more days i will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights and i will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that i have made and so the instruction is given god says says to noah he tells him to take his wife and his sons and their three wives it's going to be again eight people all total and he gives instruction he says to build an ark and I'm going to send rain, and this rain is going to come for 40 days and for 40 nights. And it is not going to be good, and there will be no life ultimately left. And so Noah completely obeys, and he does exactly what God says, and he brings his family onto the ark. Now, let's just pause there for a moment, because this is where we kind of diverge a little bit, don't we, as people, when it comes to Noah's ark, is that we kind of dress it up, and we stay on the surface where it's neat and clean, right? Because maybe for you, you've got a nursery at home, and on the wall, there's maybe some Noah's Ark wallpaper, which is awesome, right? And maybe you've got a mobile over the crib, and it's Noah, and it's a giraffe, and it's the ark, and it's a hippo, and all these other, that's awesome, right? And maybe you've got a little blanket, maybe some of you as adults, you got a little snuggie with Noah and the ark, all that stuff on there, right? And, and nothing wrong with that, right? All that stuff is good. But we often miss, because we're on the service, we, we, we miss putting ourselves in the story and imagining what it must have been like. I mean, imagine the chaos on this ark. And this wasn't so much as a boat. This, this was like a, a, a floating rescue station. I mean, this was like salvation for, for Noah and his family. And, and we miss what it was like. This would have been incredible chaos. I mean, you think it's hard on your house, right, when the kids are a little crazy. I mean, this, this would have been chaos. I mean, this was, was eight people, in-laws, you know. It would have been all these animals on there. And it was a, a confined space. And the circumstances were not great. Tension, I'm sure, was high a little bit. And uh, it was chaotic it probably stunk right uh man not good do any of you get your kids stuff from school you know after 
school ended last spring and everybody had to leave like really quickly like the exodus like drop your stuff and get out of here you're never coming back and then you went and picked up the book bags about six months later any of you do that and open those book bags like whoa there's a sandwich in there it's been in there since like march this is not good right imagine what the ark was like i mean there's animals on there and animals do animal stuff right and they had to be fed and they had to make room to get fed again and so that was not good it probably did not smell good and i'm sure they got a little snippy with each other you know knowing his wife and you know the in-laws and it's like where's the shovel you know because the giraffe well you know how it goes and so they probably just it wasn't just roses this was not easy I mean, this was not an easy circumstance and we paint this picture and again it's okay because there's an element of it now after the story that there are so many things that are warm and fuzzy but in the moment this was not good chapter 7 verse 21 that continues it says all flesh that moved on the earth perished this is the rain that begins to fall and you can hear the rain can you hear the rain on the roof of that ark can you hear it begin to fall can you hear it begin to get a little heavier can you hear the driving rain as it falls i don't know if they had the capacity maybe they could look outside the ark and and maybe they could they could see some of the things that surrounded maybe they could see as that water began to rose maybe they felt it when that ark lifted off of whatever base it was on when noah built it and they realized you know what we're floating and we have no motor and we have no rudder and we're seemingly out of control and yet there was a god who had created who was in complete control and they felt that drift as it began to happen and maybe i don't know again if they had the capacity maybe they could look outside and maybe they could they could see maybe they could see the the trees as they began to disappear under that rising water maybe they could see the hills as they began to disappear and then the mountains as they began to disappear i wonder if they could hear outside the door of that ark i wonder if they could hear over the driving rain the screams of the people let us in (laughs) all flesh that moved on the earth perished birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms on the earth and all mankind for all that was on the dry land all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life died don't forget god as creator is author of life he has full right and reign to choose its parameters. He has full right and reign and expectancy, honestly, of a holy God to judge sin. This scene highlights the beauty of salvation, doesn't it, when Jesus took this on himself on the cross thousands of years later. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky and they were blotted out from the earth and only noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark that's eight people the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days what does that mean the water prevailed on the earth 150 days it doesn't mean that it rained that long that was 40 days and 40 nights what it means is is that once the rain ended it would be another 150 days at least of quiet you couldn't hear the sounds of life on the outside of the ark that didn't exist you couldn't hear the sounds of recovery on the outside of the ark that didn't exist remember hurricane matthew when it came through caught all of us off guard we had not had a hurricane here since david in 1979 hurricane matthew came through if you were here 
you remember the devastation you remember the piles of debris that extended into the next year and when you would come home from work and get out of your vehicle you almost undoubtedly every single day could hear in the distance the sound of chainsaws you remember those days you didn't hear that for noah because there was no life and there was no recovery outside the ark 150 days five months can you imagine put yourself in the story can you imagine at what point along that spectrum they began to feel forgotten put yourself in the story I'm, I'm sure somewhere along the way they must have thought to themselves you know what it's been two weeks since the rain has ended we did what god told us he would protect us where is god now you can imagine 30 days in maybe two months all right we've been in this ark now it's time to come out all we see is water where is god it's been three months it's been four months it's been five months where is god to be found we are praying and we do not hear him have you ever been there god we have been crying out to you and I'm still sick. God, we've been crying out to you, and my marriage is still in trouble. God, we've been crying out to you, and my son, my grandchild, still hasn't come back home again. God, are you even there? Imagine the depth of how forgotten they must have felt until Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, and look at what it says in this beautiful change of, uh, of script. It says, but god remembered noah there's the phrase but god you may know moses wrote the book of genesis moses isn't in the story of noah and his ark he's not a part of the book of genesis at all he would write the book of genesis the first five books of the old testament for that matter moses would write Moses, as he writes this story, right, this true story, he, he has to find a word to try to describe almighty, perfect, divine God in human terms. There is a, a word to describe, and I don't want to even try to pronounce it without reading it. It's anthrop, anthropopatheia. You like that? Use that tomorrow. You might win a cup of coffee at work anthropopathia what that refers to is the use of human feelings or human experience to describe an attribute or a characteristic of god and that's what moses does here when he writes the book of genesis he uses what we translate in english as the word remembered it doesn't mean the same thing it means when you go to the grocery store and you've got all of your buggy full of groceries and you've just finished checking out and you remember oh my goodness my wife wanted me to get bread it's not that kind of remembered right god doesn't have he doesn't need that kind of memory he never forgets he's god i mean what this is referring to, Moses, when he wrote this book, he had to find a way in human language within that palette, right? And, and even that is finite, the number of words he could choose. He's trying to describe an indescribable God. And when he says that God remembered Noah, it doesn't mean that he had forgotten him. 
This is the way that Moses, when he writes this story, dictates and develops for us this understanding that God cared for Noah, that God had compassion for Noah, that God loved Noah, and that God had never lost sight of Noah, even though Noah felt like God had lost sight of him. And it's just this beautiful picture that God remembered Noah and he's exclaiming to us that in those moments in our lives where we feel forgotten, where we feel overlooked, when we feel like, you know what, God doesn't even know anything that I'm going through or even maybe where I am anymore, that God never forgets in the first place. He always has care and he always has compassion and he always has concern and he always has love for us, even in the midst of whatever place you feel so forgotten today. You know, Noah would come off that ark and he would worship the Lord and his life would come to an end. He also would pass away. He would breathe his last. The book of Genesis would continue. And as it continues, it rolls into yet another story about eight chapters later in chapter 16. In Genesis chapter 16, it picks up another train of thought, different set of circumstances, same, same feeling of forgottenness. But this time, the story centers around a little Egyptian maid, a slave girl, living in the land of Israel. This maid is living in Israel, and she's working for this Israelite power couple, right? It's one of the most prominent uh, couples that we'll ever read of in Scripture. Never could this little Egyptian maid have ever known that she was working for a couple whose names would be famous in this book called the Bible that would one day be written, because all she knew in her circumstance was this couple was far from godly. What the story tells us in Genesis 16 in this brand new story is this Egyptian maid was living, working for this couple that was probably very wealthy and very well off. As she worked there for them, however, there was a set of circumstances that had become complex. The couple, the married couple, had wanted children. In fact, God had promised that that would happen, but they were not quite understanding why it seemed as though God had forgotten them, and so they took matters into their own hands. It would be the wife that would say to the husband, well, what about the Egyptian maid? I tell you what, we're tired of waiting. I don't know if this is ever going to happen, and you're not getting any younger. Why don't you just plan to have a child by the maid? And I know it doesn't sound like it's going to end well, and I promise you it didn't. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. She would conceive. The wife would get angry, even though it had been her idea. In fact, she would become not just angry at her husband, but she would become outright vengeful and hateful towards, towards the maid. It'd be so bad that that Egyptian maid would pack up her belongings and very quickly, because she couldn't take it anymore, would travel across the desert towards her homeland, a land of pagan idolatry back to the land of Egypt, she and her unborn child. Her name was Hagar. You probably don't really recognize her name, maybe, as much as you do the power couple she worked for. They would later be known as Abraham and Sarah. That's right, Father Abraham. Your kids sing about him. He's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Wasn't his most shining moment. It's there that the story picks up in Genesis 16. We find this Egyptian made headed towards home can you see the tears running down her face can you sense the that 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 sense of forgottenness she'd been used up like a piece of furniture 
kicked to the curb, and now she has no one to turn to. It's here that the story picks up, chapter 16, verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord, let me pause here, the angel of the Lord is a, an Old Testament reference. When you see that phrase in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, more often than not, it refers to an appearance of Jesus. Jesus is God. He's eternal. He's without beginning, without end. He can show up on the scene anytime he wants. He's not confined to finding his spot in Luke chapter 2 when he is born to the Virgin Mary. He can show up anywhere, and he does here numerous times in the Old Testament. So we can understand this is Jesus appearing to her. The angel of the Lord, Jesus, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. That was, that was on the way, again, back to Egypt. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid... Where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. This was before God would change her name to Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, submit yourself to her authority. And moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. It's the Hebrew name El-Roi, R-O-I, El-Roi, which means the Lord who sees. And the reason she would name him this is because it would be God, when everyone else had overlooked her, when she seemingly was forgotten and kicked to the curb and on the fastest road back to, to her pagan land that she could find, it was there that the God who had created her saw her, had never missed her, and didn't forget her, but he showed favor to her. As I studied this passage this week, I was reading of a man named John Phillips in a commentary that he had written. It was too good for me just to keep to myself, so I want to close by reading what he says about this particular passage of Scripture. He says it's the first time in Scripture that reference is made to the angel of the Lord. It's remarkable, to say the least, that the first occurrence of the Jehovah angel, probably none other than the Lord Jesus himself in one of his pre-incarnate angelic appearances, should be not to Abram or Abraham, but to Hagar. Not to the heir of all the promises, but to an Egyptian fugitive. Not to a man, this was a patriarchal society, right, back in those days. Not to a man, but to a woman. He appeared not to a saint, but to a sinner, not to a person of high rank, but to a slave, not to one seeking God, but to one fleeing toward Egypt. It's the friend of the friendless, the loving second person of the Godhead, met that forlorn woman beside a fountain as centuries later, clothed in living human flesh, he would meet another woman at a wayside well in John chapter 4. It was a revelation of the grace of God. He loved Hagar just as much as he loved Abram. He sought her and he found her on the frontiers of Egypt just as he had sought and found Abram in far off Ur. And man, I don't know where you may be today, and I don't know what it is that causes you to feel forgotten. I don't know what circumstance makes you wonder 
if God even knows where you are or what you're going through. I don't know how hard it's been for you. I don't know how tempted you've been to get angry or to just wad up the paper and throw it away. Let me just remind you that God knows where you are and he cares for you and he loves you and he created you for a relationship with himself. And when you have a relationship with him through a relationship with Jesus, when you lay down your sin and invite Jesus to forgive you and take over, over what you wad up and throw away and say he doesn't even know i exist he unwads and he writes a new story but god and it's a story it's those two words is the best part of the story of all that he met me when i was forgotten he met me when i was used up he met me when everybody had turned away and right when I thought my life was of no value, my but God moment came. And if you know him, hey, what's the best application of this message? <clears throat> I don't know of any better application than to just trust him. Just trust him with everything that you're worth. Trust him like he's there. Trust him like he cares. Trust him like he loves you because he does, and he is. And then talk to him. Talk to him from the depths of your heart because he's got a plan and he's going to come through. I promise. Let's pray. Lord, probably most here today have a relationship with you. And yet, God, they've learned that we're not immune from those moments before the comma where it seems like everything has fallen apart. Sometimes, Lord, those moments are of our own making maybe when we've sinned or we failed sometimes it's because someone else has sinned or failed and we get the blowback from it sometimes it's just because we live in a hard world and uh, and god we feel the sting of life in a world that is so fallen but you god are for us and not against us and you have a plan that you're able to work to perfection and it doesn't mean that you take us out of the hurt always sometimes it means that you step in and you redefine what hurt us and you work good out of it as we'll see soon lord other times you do rescue us and you bring us through the other side but lord it is a great reminder that you're a god of all power and never in a point in our lives can we ever say that we're away from you if we know you through jesus God, for those that are hurting today, that feel forgotten, <clears throat> encourage their hearts, God, that you're right here. And Lord, for those who don't know you, that have never laid down their sin, they still, they still are walking under your wrath because you're a God who must judge sin. But God, let them see the beauty of the cross, that Jesus, out of his great love, took their place and died in their place. And he took the wrath that they were due when he died as a sacrifice and a substitute. And Lord, today the simple invitation is to turn from that sin and to invite Jesus to trust him, to forgive, and to take over. And so God, those who don't know you, give them courage to do that, whether they're right here in this room or watching online. God, that they might know you as the loving Father that you are. Where would we be but for you, Lord? We praise you for being that kind of a God today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.